0: Hear the word of God from Matthew 13, verses 44 through 52. And uh, you can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Okay, great. <clears throat> Matthew 13, 44 through 52. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, and in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind when it was full men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad so it will be at the end of the age The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord
1: i grew up in the blue ridge mountains of north carolina so probably the accent will give that away as you hear this morning but my parents owned a large piece of property and so during the construction of that property as they dug into the side of a mountain to build their house these channels and tunnels and gaps were left in different places and i was a child and so i had the opportunity to crawl And climb and dig around in these places well my parents built a retaining wall near the house and this large wall had a gap between the actual bank and the wall and so I would get down into that bank and inside of that bunker as I called it I had all kinds of things I had a a bench that was down in there so that I could sit I had ammunition and guns stored there. Now, of course, I was a kid, so these are toys stored down in there. And this was my bunker. This is where I played G.I. Joe. I was a huge G.I. Joe fan. And so I had in that thing just toys and toys and toys from G.I. Joe. And oftentimes G.I. Joe would get blown up and he would die. And so in that bank are buried all kinds of G.I. Joes that are missing legs and arms and other body parts. Tanks and airplanes that had crashed in there. All of the parts are dug into that dirt. Well, after going to college and coming home one weekend, something crazy happened. My parents filled in the hole. And so forever and eternally there are GI Joes stuck in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And one day, someone is going to probably come along and find those. And it may be a great historical and archeological dig that discovers ancient mankind and what possibly would these tools be, right? And so it is with treasure. All of us probably have similar stories from our childhood of either burying or finding treasure. This morning, as we look into God's Word, which ultimately is a treasure trove of great Word for us, we will be considering this, this very concept. What is our treasure? What does it mean? And as we think about and as we're trying to right now talk through and teach through a series on Helping Waypoint Church understand who we are, we are looking at different what we call plumb lines. And so today I'm introducing to us all this new plumb line. It, you've heard it probably mentioned, and you probably heard it mentioned with different words. We've recentered and rethought the plumb line. And a plumb line is simply a way, it's kind of like a business would have core values. It's a way for us to have a phrase that helps us understand and articulate and center our vision as a church. And so this plumb line happens to be the one that's on stewardship and stewardship principles, and we call it kingdom living, generous giving. So we're going to dig into that today based on what we read in Matthew. Now, as you'll notice also, this mug. Now, I am reclaiming and redeeming this pulpit today. Last week, Pastor Danny... Continued to sip and drink out of a Duke mug. And I thought, that is anathema on the pulpit of Waypoint Church. Say so. Say so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No longer drinking the devil's water. (laughs) As we dig into God's word this morning, look with me in Matthew chapter 13 as David read for us, we're looking at verses starting in verse 44, and we're seeing and talking about the kingdom's treasure. And as we read through this, you're going to see this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, especially in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. This phrase in Matthew's Gospel is used 32 times. So it's very, very important that we, when we see phrases like this repeated over and over in a book of Scripture, it's a very important thing. I used to say that it's like a lighthouse sitting on the edge of the cliff in the ocean. It is guiding us in. It is spotlighting and headlining a very important truth. So in the book of Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven is central to the theological teaching of this book. Now, this opposite also is true in Scripture. Sometimes one word is found in Scripture alone, and that is also as important. So God does this sometimes. He overwhelms us with a sense of one word or concept over and over again in Scripture, and it draws our attention to it and helps us see a large theme. Or it's one word specifically, and Paul's famous for this. He makes up words so that it's that found that one time, that one occurrence in Scripture, that too is built into the Scripture by God's sovereign and providential purpose to point us to a central truth. So in this case, we see a phrase that's repeated over and over and over again, the kingdom of heaven. And so what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, if I can kind of summarize it in a small definition, the kingdom of heaven is the redemptive rule Or reign of God in Christ. The redemptive rule or reign of God in Christ. That is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Redemptive is the key term in that definition. Because God is asserting his sovereign authority in the redemption of sinners through Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. And that's the purpose of the kingdom of teaching on the kingdom of heaven. That's the purpose of Matthew's gospel. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, helping them understand the point of the Messiah coming. Why did the Messiah come? Why did the promised one from the Old Testament, the chosen one, the anointed one, why is he coming? Why did he come? And Matthew's gospel spends the entirety helping us understand that. So there's a twofold way of us this morning. And as we kind of think about the Scriptures, twofold way of seeing the kingdom. First of all, the kingdom is a present reality. The king is here, and his kingdom is advancing. That's the present reality. We can also see it as a future realization. The king is coming back, and his kingdom will one day be complete so we can look at the kingdom as a present and future understanding because that's how we live on this earth now jesus also teaches these principles in parables especially as we're looking at this we're going to look we look at basically and in chapter 13 and and before jesus has been teaching in parables in chapter 13 especially he starts hitting this long line of parables and we, one of them is deep, the parable of the sower. You've heard that before. I wouldn't have a chance to go. That's a whole separate sermon. So I really am drawing out of a long string of parables on the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is really trying to help us understand something. And I'm zoning in on just a few so that we can get a greater understanding of this idea of kingdom living and generous giving. So when we look at this in Jesus' teaching in these parables, we really are seeing a a parable is a multifaceted teaching. Um, It's giving us the ability to see something from multiple angles. So it's like this. When I was a young man, I met a beautiful young lady. And so the way I wanted to express my admiration of her was to marry her. And in our culture, we give a specific gift in order to do that. So, when I was hunting for and on the search for the treasure of a diamond, which they were gonna get a lot of treasure from me in order to get that diamond, the one of the things that I, and I researched diamonds, and I can't remember now because I did it, it was a one time thing. I was I'm done, you know. But what, at that point though, and I'm a researcher, and I take things to the nth degree. Right. That's why I drive a Subaru, because they're the best car out there. And so I'm able to, like, understand that. Right. Well, when I was hunting for diamonds, I understood everything that you could understand about a diamond. And I wanted specific things to happen with this diamond. For example, there's a certain cut that when the light hits the diamond, that light is reflected and it goes everywhere in the room. And certain lights, certain times when the sun hits this diamond, there are lights all over the room. Now, I wanted that diamond specifically. And I wanted it to be cut perfectly. Because I wanted it to not illuminate the diamond. I wanted it to illuminate the princess who was wearing the diamond. The most beautiful woman in the room. And so I wanted that to be the very thing. So this is exactly what a parable does. A parable allows us to see multiple points drawing us toward the actual treasure itself. And that is, in this case, the kingdom of heaven. Its multifaceted approach points us to the ultimate treasure, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? So parables answer our questions, and they also ask new ones giving us room to evaluate ourselves. So God's kingdom is His people. This is His treasure. The church was purchased at great cost to God. God sent His Son Jesus to die for the purchase of the church. That's a great cost. And that was His greatest treasure. But get this, he is the one doing the purchasing not us and that's the glory of the gospel is that jesus christ came to do what i could not do and to die the death i should have died purchasing with his blood a people for god so we don't pay money for the kingdom i cannot earn the kingdom i don't get i don't want you to see that from this parable So when this man, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The purpose of this parable is not to teach you that you have to buy the kingdom of heaven. The purpose of the parable is to show you the treasure that was purchased for us, that was bought through the blood of Christ. And so we see this as an amazingly sweet and desirous treasure. Sweeter than a lollipop at an ant convention. You know what I'm saying? And so Jesus accomplishes all that is necessary for us to gain the treasure of His kingdom. Jesus accomplishes it. Jesus purchases it with His blood. And so that's what it means when we talk about the kingdom of heaven. Now the second thing is, the kingdom treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we see this, again in verse 45, Jesus says again, when he's saying that again, he's continuing his thought and his, and his teaching. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The great value that we see here is the kingdom. Discovering the riches of Christ will cause a man to gladly sell all that he has to gain that kingdom. Jesus gave himself to gain the church. The joy of the gospel is a sweet pleasure to have the mindset of kingdom living, generous giving. Now, what are we getting What is the Gospel? The Gospel is this. That God, the Creator of all the earth, set it up that this is what would happen. When He created the first people, they rebelled against Him in sin, and therefore were eternally separated from Him. So something had to be done. God himself was going to figure out how to redeem this this relationship, and the answer was Jesus. God became man in Jesus to live a perfect life. The life that we were destined to live, but we cannot because of sin and rebellion and the separation. And so God comes in Jesus and lives a perfect life on our behalf. Fulfilling the commandments. Fulfilling the very thing that I was supposed to do that I cannot because of my sin nature. He did it for me on my behalf. But then, rebels must die. And so I should have died for my rebellious nature and my sin. All of us should have. But Jesus died in our place. And that's the gospel message. Jesus In my place. It was Jesus who lived the perfect life I couldn't live, died the death I should have died. But the glorious nature of that is that he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death forever, and ascended to the throne where he sits now in glory. And that, therefore, those who believe that message. Those who internalize that, repenting of our sin and rebellion and trusting in Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says they will be saved. They will be rescued from sin for all of eternity. It's a great exchange, Martin Luther said. It was Him for me. What I deserved, He took on Himself and exchanged that so that now He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God so that when, when I am looked upon from the great throne of heaven on that judgment day I am seen as Christ my life is seen as the righteousness of Jesus Christ in my place condemned Jesus stood and that's the gospel that's the treasure of the kingdom that's what we gain an eternal reconciliation with God in Christ so the gospel is our adequacy and our identity once we believe the gospel is the prize the gospel is the treasure it reorients our entire lives and our entire way of thinking and that's why we can say kingdom living generous giving is when my life is reoriented in a way, and my identity is set firm in Christ alone, man, I truly then understand the heart of God. And I truly then have a deep and sincere hunger to know and honor God. Do you, church, do you have a deep and sincere hunger to know and honor God? Do you have this with your personal earthly treasures, your finances and your stuff. The kingdom of heaven is worth losing everything for. Christ is supremely satisfying. So we joyfully let go of all things in order to passionately take hold of one thing. Go heels. So, we joyfully let go of all things in order to passionately take hold of one thing. Look back at 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In his joy, in his supreme pleasure, we joyfully let go of the things of this earth. Now, and, and Spurgeon, Spurgeon here, and remember we talk about. So here's Spurgeon. All right, here's a picture of Charles Spurgeon. He lived in the 1800s. All right, a glorious manly beard. All right. So Spurgeon was a pastor in England in the 1800s. He would preach dozens of times in a week. Very influential in shaping what we see as modern Christianity from the perspective of the Reformed tradition. So I wanted you to see him because I will be referencing him a few times. But he has this one quote, and this is pretty funny. This one he says, and I have it here. Many are troubled because the Gospel interferes with their sin. Okay? Now, I think it's funny because you got a gold chain, you got Spurgeon with shades on, all right? And so, I'm going to I want to lighten the mood a little bit because whenever in church you start talking about finances and people's treasure, you know, people start getting a little upset. And I'm not here to upset you, okay? I'm not here to point fingers and cause judgment. So I'm just let Spurgeon Say it for us. Many are troubled because the gospel interferes with their sin. And that includes me. I'm really troubled. First of all, that I had to be chosen to preach on finances. That's troubling. And secondly, because as I prepared this sermon on finances, I really realized the nature of my own sin. And that's troubling as well. So giving us kingdom treasure... "...is God's ultimate pleasure, for He sees great value in glorifying Himself." Alright, that's the principle behind all of this. So Let me say it again. Because that's where I want us to stick. Okay? This is about God. Alright? "...giving us His kingdom treasure is God's ultimate pleasure, for He sees great value in glorifying Himself." The kingdom of God is about God glorifying and exalting Himself. Okay? And finding kingdom treasure is finding ultimate pleasure for us, and that is in Jesus. Right? So, now, I want to speak very candidly for a minute because as I worked through a lot of things this week, I struggled to try to figure out how to say this because there, there are extremes in the Christian world on teaching when it comes to financial stewardship in the kingdom of God. All right, And I want to help us try to avoid those extremes. So, And I want to be very careful with my language because I don't want to create problems and extremes. And I'm not a financial person. I'm not even a math person so i want to just be real for a second living in the united states of america in 2018 we all are some of the richest people on the planet at this time it's a fact When I travel overseas and I experience the things that I experience there, it's a real wake-up call to me of why I ever complain about anything at my house. And I do. And yes, I own a house. And I have cars. And I have a house that has stuff. Okay? Okay. That's who we are as Americans. And so on one hand, we can the extreme, one extreme can be, we can be really condemning about that. Or on the other extreme, we can just be like real like loose about it and just be like, I don't care. So I want to be careful as we look at this and as we talk about what it's like to live in God's kingdom and what it's like to be generous with the things that He's given us. I want to be careful. I also want to avoid the extremes of Christian teaching on finances. One extreme is the, what, what is often referred to as the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And that false teaching says that if you do certain things for God, then He's going to give you this or that. Health, wealth, prosperity. And that is an extreme teaching. And we want to avoid that extreme because it's dangerous. It's presumptuous to expect God because I do something for Him, He's going to answer to me with gifts. That's not... I mean, I don't even need that. Because I have Jesus. My, my ultimate treasure, <laughs> my health, wealth, and prosperity is Christ alone. It's found in Him. Well, the opposite extreme is a poverty gospel where we teach sometimes in Christian teaching that you sell everything you have and you live dirt poor because that's the teaching of the Bible. Well, sometimes Jesus does teach that. And it's applicable in certain circumstances in my own life. I mean, how much camping gear do I really need? But i got a garage full of this stuff. I mean, I've I lost count of how many tents I have and stoves and all these kinds of things. Why do I need... I mean, one tent, one stove good for life, right? But... and so I need, I need that teaching from Jesus sometimes to be a wake-up call perspective of my own heart, of my accumulation of stuff. But like I said, there are these extremes... And I want to be careful that we avoid the extremes. The poverty gospel saying, sell everything you have, live like the poor, and that way you can reach them. And sometimes, you know, the other teaching is is like, man, you do good for God and God's going to do good for you. Right? And so, let's, let's understand that. As we walk through this, let's understand that. That I don't want anyone to walk away from here today thinking that Pastor Josh told me that i got to sell everything I have because that's what God requires. I also don't want anybody to walk away from here saying today, Pastor Josh said from the stage, man, I can live it up, do whatever I want because I am blessed by God. I want us to find some tension in the middle on purpose. Okay, Spurgeon said it must be a pleasure to us to make sacrifices. Indeed, we must consider them to be no sacrifices, just as these two men were eager and anxious to sell all their property to get possession of the one treasure which would make them rich for life. Okay, it's a pleasure to make sacrifices in the kingdom of God, to live in that way. There's got to be perspective and balance when we look at that. The words, anytime, you, you, anytime someone's teaching the Bible and they word, use the words should and must, it's going to skew this. It's going to absolutely skew this. You should do that as a Christian. You must do this if you live for the kingdom. Man, I want to be really, really cautious about that, okay? Because when we say kingdom living, missional, I mean, generous, it used to be called missional living, generous giving. So when I say kingdom living, generous giving, I want us to get to the place as Christians in the 21st century, as Americans, that have a passion for living the kingdom of God that the kingdom would expand to all reaches of the earth and that I would be generously pursuing that movement, no matter what that means. And that is personal for me. That means something personal. It means my time, my talent, my treasure. You've heard those before, all right? Taking all of that, but specifically, this is a financial stewardship plumb line. Because we at Waypoint Church, we want to say that we are honestly trying to live lives that are kingdom oriented and generous. Because the New Testament, now the Old Testament, when the Old Testament talks about finances, you'll see this principle of a tithe. And the tithe is translated as a 10%, right? And then you also see this idea of first fruits. And then you see in the New Testament teaching of, all, of the tithe and the first fruits, and then you see te- an overwhelming amount of teaching on generosity. So at Waypoint, we're saying as a principle that we desire to build kingdom minded folks who live with a first fruits mentality of generosity. And what that means is this. I look at my paycheck and I see it and I go, all right. I know how much I need to live on. I know how much I spend at the coffee shop. But ultimately, God, I want to look at what you're doing. and I want to get the heart of God. And I want to give from the first fruits of this. I want to just write... Right off, I just want to say, God, this is this paycheck. I I know that it comes from you. Everything good comes from God, everything good comes from heaven. So, this is not my money. So, I want to give it and I want to be generous about it. And that doesn't mean that I'm then pigeonholed in a certain lifestyle. Okay? Because there's a huge spectrum here. In this room just today, there's a wide spectrum, and I understand that. Even though we're Americans and we're in the top you know, 2% of the world's wealth, still that 2% has a pretty wide spectrum. And God has called each of us to think in a kingdom-minded way about where He's placed us. All right. That way, I'm I can't judge you and you can't judge me because we're not the judge of each other. But if I have a kingdom mindset and I'm encouraged by my brothers and sisters in Christ and I'm living in a generous way, no matter what that looks like for your own personal context, then that's honoring to the Lord. And some of you have been placed in a context where maybe you don't have a lot of resources And so generosity for you looks very different than someone who may be blessed with a lot of financial resources. And I'll tell you, the Bible does not teach against having wealth. It does not. It teaches us how to live with a mindset of what to do with that wealth. Are we a blessing to the kingdom? Are we a blessing to the culture around us? Are we a blessing to this city? Am I a blessing to the nations? When I have a kingdom mindset, when my treasure is centered on Christ, I can let go of the rest of this stuff. I can. Because I don't find my worth and value and identity in those things. And that's what the gospel's trying to teach us. Is my value found in my stuff? Is my worth found in my retirement? Is my identity wound up in all of this? And in Christ, the answer is no, because He is my worth. He is my value. He is my identity. And that is ultimately what makes us kingdom-minded. Now, I'm going to show you this picture of this box, okay? Look at this. So I was meeting with Jeff Carter and Scott Slater this week, and we were talking about this very idea. So Jeff said, man, you know what this reminds me of? He said, you go to the Museum of Life and Science in Durham, and there's this box, and you slide your hands in, and you build stuff, probably like Legos or blocks or whatever, right? And you build this amazing thing, and then you slide your hands out, and the next person comes up, and (laughs) they destroy your thing, they build their own thing, right? And then they slide their hands out, and then some two-year-old comes along and, you know, just destroys it all, right? So, put this picture up here just to give you a visual of what I'm talking about. What, when you look at your life, and you look at what God, where God's placed you, okay, I am going to slide my hands into the life of Waypoint Church because Pastor Lawrence and I were called together to plant this church. But, you know what? One day, I'm going to slide my hands out of the gloves and some young pastor is going to step in here. I'm going to be old. And he's going to undo it all. And redo something else. Now I'm just using this as a hypothetical situation. And if my value and identity is tied up on what I built in the box, I'm not living a kingdom mindset. Because, the, so we're, listen, we're going to do a lot of things on this earth, and then we're going to die, and nobody's going to remember. Okay? Unless we build the kingdom. When I share the gospel with a guy and he's radically changed, that'll be remembered. And everything that spins off of that. When I live a lifestyle of generous giving and and, and I'm supporting missionaries and kids through compassion and city ministries and all these kinds of things, I'm in the midst of building something that God is growing for eternity. And that will last. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to give us this mindset of build things of the kingdom. Build the kingdom on this earth. Right? Because only what is built for the kingdom is going to last. And then the third thing, the last thing about the kingdom's treasure, is the kingdom's treasure advances. Now, and this is where it talks about instructing others in this principle of the kingdom. So go on down and you see this. Go to verse 51 to look at this. Now, verse 51 has to be a joke. It has to be a Jesus joke. All right. Jesus says to them, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. I mean, really? Understood it all. Like everything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just talked about a guy burying treasure in the field... ...and a pearl, and a guy bought that. And then he talks about the parable of the sower, the mustard seed, and the leaven. I mean, that's a, that's a weird parable, right? You're just like, what is that? And Jesus says, do you understand these things? Yeah. I just think that's funny. All right, so let's move on. Verse 52. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And this goes back to this concept of building the kingdom. Part of building the kingdom is allowing people, especially the next generation, to see and understand the kingdom principles which we know from Scripture. Okay? So when he talks about this idea of this homeowner, he says um, every scribe... He's got two things going on at the same time here. A scribe and a homeowner. Okay? and the master of the house, all right. And he's looking at this and he's talking about discipleship. He's talking about teaching the Bible to others. And Jesus is saying understanding the kingdom is understanding the principles taught in Scripture and then teaching others that, making disciples. That's what the kingdom's about. So he's this homeowner and this Bible teacher, and it's this discipleship treasure. He says when we've seen the secrets of the Old Testament revealed in the New Testament, in Jesus, then we're understanding the kingdom. And when we're passing that teaching on to others, then we're understanding how to build the kingdom. Spurgeon again, he says, Don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and every hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road that leads to London? So from every text in Scripture, there is a road towards the great metropolis Jesus Christ. And when we understand the depth of the scriptures and we take that and we pass it on we are building the kingdom so teach at this homeowner dads moms teach the scriptures in your home teach your children the truths of God's Word and you will build the kingdom so I always have parents ask me how do, how do you teach their discipleship at home. And so we're having a parenting conference in November, November 2nd and 3rd. Go ahead. If you're a parent, lock that in. We're gonna have a weekend parenting conference. And we're gonna talk about these things. And I have resources here, and I'm I'm building a library of resources. If you took like this gospel story Bible, and then then he talks about the old and the new. Long story shorts, devotions on the old testament. Old story new. Devotions on the New Testament. It's this idea of teaching and giving treasure to the next generation. Helping them see and understand and savor Jesus Christ. Then he talks about this idea of of the house. We've talked about this before in missions. This very word here is the word oikos. We've talked about oikos here as a mission strategy for our church. Your oikos, it's the Greek word for house. It means the place where you have been planted. If you think about your address and think about your neighbors and your neighborhood, you think about your office, you think about your school, you think about your campus, God has placed you there to be a missionary, to take the kingdom's principles and expand them by planting them in the hearts of others. So, if we've been given this treasure, then the Lord wants us to ten- continue giving it for the sake of others. So, we have advancement orders from the king, directly from the throne, proclaim the good news of the kingdom to every person, every people group on the planet. Waypoint Church, we should be known in the city of Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, Carborough. Morrisville, Cary of kingdom-minded people, people who are advancing the kingdom, people that love Jesus. This is how we're advancing it. And the resources that get that mission accomplished is kingdom living, generous giving. The reality behind it all, though, falls into verses 47 through 50. And this is where it becomes crystal clear To the Christian. Look at this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus' teaching on a literal hell. There is a place of literal eternal torment called hell. And those who do not know Jesus will spend eternity there. So this is in the midst of all this as a wake-up call to the church to say, let's go. Let's send forth And preach the gospel to all nations, allowing the message of Jesus Christ to be heard among all peoples on this earth. Because one day, and David Platt says it this way, there is a net moving silently through the sea of mankind. And one day soon, He will draw all men to the shores of eternity for final separation to their ultimate destiny, in either everlasting life or eternal death. Let's get a perspective of the kingdom. John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. We know these verses. We grew up hearing these verses. We see them at every football game. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But whoever believes In Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the the world might be saved through Him. So this morning, why do we have a table prepared? Why do we come into the presence of God in hearing of His Word? And it's because of this very thing. This table of communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, whatever you understand it to be, is set to remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus through His flesh and blood, making atonement for our sin. That word atonement means bringing us together at one with God. To unify us to God. And so, here in just a second we are going to partake of this. We have crackers, and our crackers are gluten-free so that the entire church, no matter who is here, whatever allergies, everyone together in unity can partake of this. We have this juice representing the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, together, we are partaking of this time to be reminded of the sacrifice of what Christ did for us.